Welcome to Cancer HealthCast, where science is driving hope. I'm your host, Nikki Henderson. Today, we are joined by Steve Friedman, the Senior Advisor for Operations with the Surveillance Research Program and the Division of Cancer Control and Population Sciences at the National Cancer Institute. Steve works on several major initiatives, including SEER, the Virtual Biorepository, and the Virtual Pooled Registry. Steve has also been named the Lead Contracting Officer Representative for the SEER program. Steve, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. Well, Steve, can you start off by telling us about the Surveillance, Epidemiology, and End Results Program, also known as SEER, and how is it helping to decrease the cancer burden in the U.S.? Thanks, Nikki. I appreciate the time to be able to talk about this year program. We're celebrating our 50th anniversary this year, and we have a lot of really great activities to talk about. Um, this year program, as I mentioned, is 50 years old. It really was established through the passage of the National Cancer Act in 1971. And even though there were two programs that preceded it, the End Results Program and the Third National Cancer Survey, it was a language in the National Cancer Act which calls for the director of the NCI to establish programs as necessary for cooperation with state and other health agencies in the diagnosis, prevention, and treatment of cancer that established the SEER program as we know it today. And our SEER mission, in summary, is to monitor trends and support research on the diagnosis, treatment, and outcomes of cancer. And so our goal, uh, as we're funded by the NCI, is to support research. And we've been doing that since January 1, 1973. We started out with a handful of registries at the state or regional level. And for many years, we represented about 15% of the U.S. population. And at the initial onset of the SEER program back in 1973, we were collecting about 120,000 incident cancer cases annually. And even though over the years, in fact, over the decades, we had been adding registries, to enhance and expand the program, the growth of the U.S. population meant that we were still at around 15% of the U.S. population, even as the number of cancer cases that we were receiving data on continued to grow. And it wasn't until probably about early 2000s where we saw some significant increases. And around that time, we managed to get up to about 30% or so of the U.S. population. And we continue to move forward with the mission of the SEER program in support of research activities within the NCI as well as extramural research activities. And even, in fact, supporting research internationally in trying to reduce the cancer burden. And really, the biggest change that we've experienced in representation occurred in 2018. We have two categories of registries that are now participating in the program. The first are called CORE, and that's not an acronym, C-O-R-E. It it just represents the category of registries that have always been a part of the SEER program. Those that contribute data twice annually to the SEER program, as well as time and expertise and best practices to helping to enhance the program. And now we also have a second category, which are known as research support registries. And while those registries don't contribute data or expertise in the same way that the core registries do, they are still part of the SEER program and are, in fact, eligible to receive awards for other 
activities, and I'll mention a couple of those as we go through the podcast here, uh, that are part of the program. And that enables us to continue to grow and enhance what we're doing as part of our mission. So with this latest reconfiguration and enhancement of the SEER program, we have 18 population-based central registries that submit data to the SEER program annually. And that now covers almost 50%. We're at 48% of the U.S. population. We have the additional 10 research support registries that are available for other small contracts as they come up. And with these 18 population-based central registries, we are now receiving data on 850,000 incident cases annually. So it's a very substantial jump to work from where we were before. So for our 50th anniversary, our golden anniversary, we can say that we've made some significant strides in that representation. And how we help to decrease the cancer burden is really in part through the collection of data and making that data available to the research community, both intramural and extramural, and again, as I mentioned, internationally. And we have several tools and efforts underway by which uh, that data is made available. But it is something that I think has brought tremendous value to the SEER program. And one of the ways that we track that is through our SEER programmatic metrics. So when we look at the value of SEER in terms of usage of that data, since the beginning of the SEER program, we've had more than 10,000 publications that use SEER data for their primary analysis. More than 96,000 publications reference SEER data, and almost 2,500 publications use SEER Medicare data in those publications. When you look at the grants that have uh, SEER data as a focus, in the year, in the calendar year 2021, we've had 67 grants that were awarded for $48 million. And where Sierra is used as reference data sources, it's an additional 11 grants for almost $4 million. So it's pretty substantial from that perspective. And when you look at the requests from the community, the entire international research community for Sierra data, you, looking at the calendar year uh, 2022, which leverages diagnosis year 2020 data, we've had about 17,000 requests for specialized data sets that have come through. So again, uh, pretty substantial numbers there that really, I think, indicate the value of SEER and how that's grown over the decades since our inception. Wow, Steve, that is amazing. I really appreciate you breaking down the information regarding the different registries, the core, the research support, and 850,000 incident cases. I mean, that you guys really are making strides in the data collection. And that's actually a wonderful way to mark the 50th anniversary of SEER. That's great. And so congratulations, by the way, on 50 years. Well, thanks. It's a tremendous team effort. We're planning a little celebration later in the year. We're going to have our registry partners and other uh, folks within the NCI that have supported us tremendously over the years be a part of that to recognize the efforts. This is truly a, a team effort. Re regardless of the fact that this occurs through uh, a contract mechanism, we view our relationship with the registries as well as the other agencies and organizations as partnerships that really enable us to fulfill our mission. And we're very proud of those partnerships, and we're, we're looking forward to doing these things throughout the year to help acknowledge and celebrate all of those efforts. That's awesome. Well, Steve, how have you seen technology evolve over 50 years to support data analytics? 
That's a great question. And I think we've seen in the last 50 years, technology in all aspects of our lives change and change our lives dramatically. And that is no different with the data analytics capabilities that have occurred within this year program. You can look at the, the result of the data analytics as part and parcel to the technology changes that have occurred in capturing data, abstracting data, and being able to use the data. And so since you're asking specifically about your uh, data analytic capability, we have about 10 different tools that have been developed by our IT contractor over time. And I'll give you a quick rundown on, on some of those. Uh, we have a tool called CanServe, which is a tool that allows for the analysis of population-based survival data. We have a tool called CA Rank, CI Rank, which allows for rank age-adjusted cancer incidence and mortality rates by geographic region. We have DevCam, which is a tool which allows you to look at the probability of developing or dying of cancer. We have a tool, and I didn't come up with the name, and it's a, really, it's a positive name, even though it sounds like it's a positive tool, even though it has a name called Headbang, which is a two-dimensional median-based smoothing algorithm. And again, that's our statisticians love these tools, and, and uh, they've done great work in utilizing them. Uh, we have a tool called Searstat, and probably one of the better-known tools is called JoinPoints, which is a JoinPoint regression program, allows for regression analysis. So we have a, an entire suite of analytical tools, and those tools have um, continuously been enhanced over the years and expanded to capture different types of data that we're now capturing, since the data that we capture has also evolved and expanded over the years. And our suite of data analytical tools have to keep pace with those changes as well. Wow, that is really something. Yes, very interesting names, but I like the fact that there's been such progression with these tools, these suite of tools that you just mentioned. Well, what role has SEER data played in monitoring trends in cancer diagnosis and outcomes? Well, that's a great question as well. And, and part of what we do, as I mentioned in the statutory language in the National Cancer Act that authorized the creation of the CR program, has been about creation of partnership with other states, with other agencies. And so one of the ways that we do that is through our partnership with the Centers for Disease Control and the American Cancer Society. Uh, we have an annual report for the nation that we produce annually, uh, obviously, as it's in the name, the ARN, uh, that is between the three organizations. And each organization takes turn each year uh, being the lead organization on that report, contributing the ideas for the topics to focus in on. And this, uh, the ARN provides updates to the nation on the rates of new cases and deaths, as well as trends. In fact, it covers long-term trends since 2001 as well as short-term trends in five-year increments. And this has been a very successful, what I would say product for lack of a better term, but it's a wealth of information. I think it really goes to enhance the knowledge of cancer activity within our country as, from not only the current burden, but those trends that we talked about and allows people to lay people. Uh, this is, I think, where this kind of report is very important. It, it's not for scientific folks only. It is for lay people so that everybody in the country has a very good understanding as to where the cancer burden currently exists within our country and things that we're doing to try to resolve that. We also have 
uh, Cancer Stat Facts, which is a collection of statistical summaries uh, for the number of common cancer types, both for single and multiple sites. It provides information on survival stats, new cases and deaths, and trends and rates, and that allows you to sort that and look at that by race, ethnicity, sex, and gender. So it gives you multiple viewpoints into that data. I like the way that you start off by saying about the partnerships and how they play a major role in the success of the SEER program. Everyone gets an opportunity to participate in, in that part of it. So that's really good to hear. And I thank you for explaining the ARN product as well. That was really good to hear about. And this actually leads me well into my next question. How is SEER data helping researchers determine the number of patients living with a certain type of cancer? And, and how is it helping to identify those who are at a either higher or lower risk of dying from certain cancers? Sure. And before I answer that, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that part of our collaboration with CDC and ACS is also a contribution to the Healthy People uh, product, uh, that tool that goes out uh, and is available. We've seen Healthy People 2000, Healthy People 2020, um, and we contribute information to that. And so uh, to your question of researchers determining the number of patients living with a certain type or identifying those that are higher or lower risk, again, that comes from, in part, the information that's made available through our data sets. And we've seen the data sets evolve over time, in part because of what's been collected and what's been made available, but also because of the technology that's used to identify some of these things. So the data that's been traditionally collected that researchers tend to use, and we like to think that our data is also going to contribute, and I'll comment about this in a moment, to the clinical trials enterprise, but when you look at the data that's been traditionally collected by the SEER program, it's been somewhat limited to uh, demographics. We have some geospatial data. We look at characterization of the tumor at the time of diagnosis, but that's been limited to staging and tumor characteristics around 32 biomarkers, as well as the first course of treatment, regardless of its surgery, radiation, chemo, or hormonal, and then survival and cause of death. But we recognize now that. And again, as technology has evolved and has allowed us to be able to look at more discrete bits of data around these cases, we're looking for treatment data that allows for information around more details and longitudinal treatment over time. We've seen a shift, for example, with chemotherapy. Uh, traditionally, it had been an inpatient infusion-based type treatment modality. But over the years, we've seen the development of oral chemotherapeutic agents where patients can take a pill and not be in the doctor's office. And while that's a tremendous benefit, it creates a gap in the data collection. We don't necessarily know just from the traditional means of capturing data what's happening next with that patient. And so looking at oral chemotherapy through partnerships with, uh, pharma with pharmacy providers is a great way for us to get that information. We're trying to expand the tumor characteristics that we're capturing. And so we're including genomic biomarkers into that. We're looking at what we call multi-gene panels for specific types of cancers and trying to expand the genetic markers that we're looking at to help identify and recognize those tumor characteristics. And another important thing that we're trying to capture is looking at metastatic and recurrence. We want to leverage uh, additional data sources such as pathology, radiology, 
medical claims and hospital reports where we can pull that information. A lot of these are unstructured data. And so being able to leverage technology that can pull unstructured data and make sense of them is of tremendous benefit to the CR program and to the researchers and physicians and nurses that are using that information to help figure out how to best take care of their patients, both from a treatment standpoint, as well as looking at it from a prevention standpoint. I, I look at surveillance as being a third of the three-legged stool, surveillance, prevention, and treatment. And we can contribute to those other, other legs of that, that stool. Finally, looking at longitudinal residential history. This is particularly important when you're looking at childhood, young adult, adolescent cancer survivors. We're seeing more of those survivors around and living longer. It's a great success story, but they're also a population that tends to move a lot. And with that movement can be a loss of medical information over time. If you're treated as a childhood cancer survivor living with your parents, but then you go off to college, move to another city, get a job, that medical history may not in total follow you. And so being able to have that residential history and be able to connect the dots that way is another way for us to be able to help map medical history and be able to look at trends and activities that can contribute to ongoing diagnosis and treatment for patients that continue to occur. And so the collection of all these things, we think, is a way for us to continue to enhance the SEER program and then provide that enhanced benefit out to the research community. Wow, that is amazing. I, It's so interesting when you talk about the oral chemotherapy and, you know, just taking a pill and you're not able, this type of data is unstructured, so it's hard to keep track of it. But the fact that technology is is evolving, so it's helping you guys, you know, it's helping to pull that data together and, and ultimately, yes, better treat patients and save lives in the end. So that's, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Well, can you tell me more about the SEER Explorer and SEER data management system and what types of information do they provide? Sure. It's probably best if I start with the SEER data management system. And that's a couple of decades old now. Uh, it is, again, built by our IT partner, it is a way to have a standardized database for the collection and abstraction and storage of SEER data. All of our SEER registries use a standardized format for the collection of data. And that makes it easier, of course, for us to process that data and make it available for use by the research community. And so SEER, the SEER data management system, or as we refer to it as the SEER DMS, is a tool that's been in place for a couple decades now, and it's a requirement for each of the SEER registries to have that database installed locally so that they can leverage that. And there are certain uh, efficiencies that come with having a standardized database, and we have a user community that's very active in helping to ensure that it is robust, meets their needs. So anything from modifying the user interface so that it's easier to see something, uh, as well as how information is passed through from one part of the system to another uh, is important. But it also, it certainly meets all of the federal IT requirements. We make sure that because there's information that's collected there regarding patient information, demographics, uh, each registry has their own separate secure island. Uh, and so I cannot, uh, within the NCI, we cannot just go into the system and access that data. It's all secured. Uh, I have to go through the same process as an extramural researcher in order to be able to access the data set to be able to do that work. And so we take that patient 
privacy, the patient data part of it very seriously, and we make sure that that information is protected there. And so with this year, maybe into 2024, we will have all of our core registries utilizing Steer DMS, which is a pretty substantial accomplishment. We're quite proud of the work uh, that's been done between the registries, our IT partner, and, and the SEER program in getting that put in place. And that's really enabled us to continue to, to build on the enhancements that I've already talked about. And in fact, for one of our projects, uh, the National Childhood Cancer Registry, we've been working on and we have in place uh, what we call SEER DMS Lite, which is a slimmed down version of SEER DMS that enables, and this is where our research support registries come into play, they'll be able to utilize that slimmed down version of SEER DMS, SEER DMS Lite, so that they can go ahead and participate in the NCCR and contribute data on those childhood cancer survivors uh, for the benefit of the SEER program and the research community so that we have additional data points that we can make available to them. And then the other tool that you asked about was SEER Explorer. And SEER Explorer is a tool that allows you to look at, I mentioned trends before, and when I was going down the suite of uh, the analytical tools, I did not include that because I had a feeling you might ask about SEER Explorer because it does represent sort of a wonderful standalone tool where you can put in uh, a number of different pieces of information such as uh, race, ethnicity, age, um, you can look at cancer type, and then you can get graphical information around long-term trends, recent rates, looking at different years, at rates by age. So it really is a, it's a tool that allows you to have visualization of this data in several different ways. And you can look at it from a data table standpoint or a graphical standpoint, and it really allows you to analyze and assess the data that's available um, through that. And it gives us a nice big wide range of dates. Uh, we have data that goes back um, even before 2000, but really that reliable data set um, when you're looking at it is from 2000 on. And it gives you again, a lot of uh, information there that researchers can utilize. And uh, graphically it's, it's a, you know, I like to say it's an attractive tool because it's easy to use. And when you look at it, uh, it gives you some really great area, great information there to leverage. And it gives you the background information as well. So it's not just the results, but the logic behind the results. So when you're a researcher and you need to break that down a bit more, you can really see what the source data looks like and, and look at it from that perspective as well. Great. Thank you so much for explaining those. I, I really appreciate that. Well, Steve, are there any new initiatives or projects being launched in recognition of the 50th anniversary of the SEER program? There are. Uh, there are several. I'm, I'm going to talk about three here in particular. Uh, the first one is the Virtual Biotissue Repository. And what this is, is an opportunity for us. And we've done this as a pilot project, and we're working on scaling this up a little bit more. But there are several different biorepositories across the NCI and cancer centers that where there are some unique areas that this VTR can fulfill. And so, for example, these existing biorepositories, the, the VTR can be complementary to those by including both virtual and residual population-based repository specimens. It allows us to look at population-based sampling from both community and academic pathology labs, and that permits us to look at being able to target 
population subgroups, again, by race, race and ethnicity. Because as I mentioned before, uh, one of the key objectives in this year expansion by adding more registries has been about trying to have the SEER demographic represent U.S. demographics. And so it's been intentional to try to uh, bring in uh, states or regions where we've had be able to increase our representation of African-Americans, uh, Hispanic-Americans, and Asian-Americans, typically those underreported, underrepresented uh, populations. Uh, and again, where a lot of those populations are not participating to the degree that uh, whites are participating in clinical trials. So we're trying to make that more representative there. And it also allows us to capture uh, information on rare tumors, rare outcomes, and uh, it allows us to uh, capture additional clinical data um, through the registry. So again, the registry becomes a very critical partner in all this because they really are the fulcrum by which this data uh, is pulled in from other sources uh, and then leveraged through the registry's work and then made available in that complete data set. So that's the VTR there. And, and the last thing I want to mention there is that it also has the capacity to link to digital pathology images uh, to the abstracts that our registrars uh, at the registry uh, use to populate the database with information. And that's an example of trying to keep up with the changing technology in medicine in general and by leveraging that. Another project that I want to mention is the virtual pooled registry. And the virtual pool registry really is a project, while it leverages technology as well, it's really about creating an efficient process that helps remove some barriers for researchers that are looking to conduct multi-site uh, linkage requests, linkage studies. And previously, what researchers would have to do is, if they were going to do a multi-site study, they would have to submit their protocol and their, their forms to each local IRB for each registry that they wanted to have participate in that linkage. The VPR was created in a way that we can have one central research application process, one research file, a standardized linkage process using a linkage tool that was developed, developed by our IT partner, and a central IRB where we can delegate the review by a local IRB to a central IRB and have one IRB conduct those that review. And this is for, again, as I mentioned, it's a minimal risk linkage study that would qualify for an expedited review. So we are looking to leverage that expedited uh, perspective on it so that we can continue to move it through the process quickly. We currently have 43 registries participating in the VPR. And uh, this has been very exciting for us to see this continue to grow and develop as well. The last project that I'd like to mention is a partnership that we have with the Department of Energy and working with some of their labs. And here, what we're trying to do is leverage artificial intelligence, translational AI, so that we can have better surveillance and ultimately better cancer care. And in this partnership with the DOE, we've been developing a number of APIs. We have a reportability API, electronic pathology extraction API, biomarker API, recurrence API, and all of those APIs allow us to auto-extract structured data from unstructured pathology reports. And we're focusing on several different elements, such as site, subsite, histology, behavior, and laterality. Um, we have 
through this process, this pilot project that we've been working on, we have more than 4 million reports that have been reviewed and manually screened every year. And when we put it through the API, it has a processing rate that's 18,000 times faster than a human. And that's about 55 seconds per report, which comes out to be about 46,000 person hours for this particular task. Now, we have this in production across 12 registries so far. And these results are looking very promising. But again, we have to keep in mind, it's new technology. It takes a lot of work to teach the machines what to do and how to do it correctly. But we're very encouraged by what we see. And this allows us to work with the registries and the registrars to help uh, train personnel involved to increase the consistency and accuracy across surveillance activities. Part of our goal with the SEER program is to improve the completeness of the data that we capture and improve the quality of the data that we capture so that those data sets are really quite pristine by the time they get out for consumption by the research community. And this continues to allow us to do that. And we see when we're, when we're running these reports through the APIs, we do see, for example, that we're having very high success rates with overall accuracy. And again, as I mentioned, from the time perspective, it takes a short amount of time for the APIs to process those reports. When you look at those two things together, it seems like we're really on the right path for being able to leverage new technology to help solve some of the surveillance challenges that we've identified previously. Yes, Steve, I really appreciate you sharing um, so many initiatives going on right now. That's great to hear, especially the one with DOE. That, that's really neat. So lots of wonderful things on the horizon. Well, what are some of the SEER program's data goals and priorities for 2023 and beyond? Well, I've already covered, I think, some of them in talking with you about some of the activities that we have going on. Uh, our associate director who runs the program, Dr. Lynn Penberthy, she's put forth a very ambitious uh, vision for how she'd like to see the SEER program continue to enhance. And in, in, in that regard, as it contributes to the overall cancer surveillance community. And so we want to continue on that path. We want to continue with the support of our division leadership and the NCI leadership. We're very encouraged by their support. We want to continue to be able to provide the best value for the research community. And we're doing that, again, as I mentioned, through these pilot projects. Where there's success, we want to scale them up to have that work throughout the entire SEER program. We want to be able to automate these tasks a bit more, and that allows our registrars to continue to work with us on enhancing the completeness and the quality of the data, uh, all of which is measured. We have a very robust QI, uh, QAX set of activities that go on throughout the SEER program where we engage our registry partners in helping to ensure that the quality and completeness and other aspects of the data that's being pulled together uh, meets the high standards that we've set. We want to continue to leverage the variety of sources that are out there that are participating in enhancing medical care. We want to be able to pull disparate sources together and show the benefit of those sources through a more robust SEER data set. And one of the other things that this will, will allow us to do down the road as we're moving towards this is about real-time reporting. We currently have about a two-month period from a year of diagnosis to when the data set is available that we want to shorten that because we, we believe, just like we see in the clinical trials enterprise, 
when you're asking a scientific question, the sooner you can get to that question, you can get to that answer, uh, the more relevant that work is going to be. So if we can shorten that time, we get to this real-time reporting uh, aspect and really enhance that, we think that that will continue to bring value of the CR program, CR program data uh, will continue to enhance that value over time. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Steve. That was, it's really good to hear that you guys are, there's so much more to come um, for this year program and technology is playing a, a major role in that. So um, before we conclude, uh, Steve, do you have any comments or final remarks about what we discussed today? Well, just that we appreciate the fact that the SEER data, the SEER program is something that is uh, utilized throughout all of NCI, other aspects of NIH, and throughout the national and international research community. And as, as I mentioned, uh, this is a partnership. We value those partnerships, and we really couldn't do what we do without the participation of all these partners. And so we're really just pulling together the tremendous efforts of the registry, registry personnel, uh, physicians, nurses, these other technology partners, uh, we're really a conduit by which we're pulling that together and making that available for the research community. Um, as a 26-year cancer survivor myself, uh, I didn't know about SEER at the time of my diagnosis, but I have great appreciation for the work of uh, everybody involved in the SEER program and how we are going to continue to contribute to reducing and hopefully eliminating the burden of cancer on people in this country. Uh, people who are interested in learning more about the SEER program, looking at the tools that we have, uh, looking at the registries that are participating and other information can go to our, the SEER website at seer.cancer.gov, and there's lots of pages for them to look at and learn from. That is wonderful. Thank you so much. And I really do appreciate your time. This has really been a very um, informative and just wonderful discussion all the way around. So I really appreciate you joining us today. I appreciate your time and uh, thank you for uh, all of your efforts in recognizing the work of the SEER program. HealthCast, along with GovCast and CyberCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them on your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at govcio.com.